one of the fundamental struggles that people have in this life is the struggle to navigate the dynamics between weakness and strength. And it makes sense because nobody wants to be seen as weak and nobody wants to be weak. Everybody wants to attain some kind of strength and probably as much as possible, at least in the sphere around them. And there's a common temptation that comes for us as we navigate this dynamic because you know how it goes. When strength or power grows in your life, you gain a level of confidence. And that confidence may or may not be a bad thing. But as we gain confidence, there is often a temptation that comes alongside of it, which is the temptation to begin boasting. Boasting in ourselves, our qualities or our accomplishments, is a struggle for people that starts at a very, very young age. <laughs> and it lasts for many of us all the way through a very, very old age. This is why last week when I put my two girls into ski school at a local ski resort, they met their instructor, they were in their ski lesson with a couple of friends, and then another little boy came up and he said, after evaluating the group very quickly, ah, oh, there's five skiers in this group. And I'm obviously the best. <laughs> he was just a young kid. Had no idea what he was talking about. But struggling with boasting already. <laughs> but our propensity to boast is not just a struggle for children, is it? It takes many forms at many different seasons of life. This propensity to boast is why we might find ourselves at times name-dropping. Have you ever done that? Or have you ever known somebody who does that a whole lot? People name drop. They happen to mention in passing the name of somebody of perceived importance because in doing so, they think that if their friends know that you know this person of perceived importance, then all of a sudden you are perceived to be a little bit more important yourself. And that is a form of self-boasting. And I guess that if this is a common struggle for all of us, then we shouldn't be surprised that boasting in ourselves is also a dynamic of our spiritual lives and our Christian relationships with each other. I mean, after all, we see in the Bible the Pharisees were marked as people who would pray on the street corners so people would see them and hear their prayers and think more highly of them. We can see today that there are some who are of high renown in our day who brag about their influence or their gifts or their unique and special anointing that they believe that they have. But far be it to be just a, a distant reality, to bring it all the way home, we know, we know that in the midst of our normal everyday life, spiritual boasting is a struggle for some of us. Because all of us are just a second away from looking at somebody else and saying, well, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as they are. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul addresses the topic of boasting. And it might surprise you 
to know that he doesn't condemn boasting altogether. But he does point to a good kind of boasting and a bad kind of boasting. Let's see what he says. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we will begin reading at verse 7. This is what he says. To the church, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is, in, that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for, the building, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in one another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. In verses 7 through 11 and on, Paul picks up an argument that he is engaging in now with those who are opposing him. There are people in the church who are opposing him as an apostle and opposing the message of the gospel he brings. And we see here in chapter 10, both in this part and in the earlier part, there were some who seemed to indicate that they believed him to be weak in presence and weak in his orality, but strong with his letters. All bark, no bite in person <laughs> is what they said. The Corinthians had become so immersed in their Greco-Roman culture that they valued prosperity and pride and arrogance and boldness. And you sort of get the sense that they began to value these things as even spiritual virtues or signs of spiritual strength. Their culture had so affected and skewed their view of authority and godliness and the dynamics of strength and weakness. And Paul reminds them in the first part of chapter 10 that he is engaging in a war here, but this is not a war that's being waged in the physical realm. It's not a war of words. This is a war of the spiritual realm that God himself is fighting on his behalf. And so the section 
this morning continues to expose the detractors by exposing the fact that they are boasting, but not just that they're boasting, that they are not boasting in the proper way because their boast is founded on the wrong things. But in fact, he, Paul, is the apostle of the Lord Jesus and that gives him the right to boast. But not to boast in a way that's self-serving. His boast is in the Lord. And so we see in our text today sort of two sections. And in those two sections, he gives them and he gives us five reasons why we should not boast in ourselves, but rather we should boast in the Lord. Let's look at them together. The first reason is seen right away in verse 7. And we might categorize it by saying, we also belong to Christ. We shouldn't boast in ourselves because we also belong to Christ. Verse 7 says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let them remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. Some of Paul's detractors claimed that they were closer to God or more closely related to Christ than he was, which is ironic because none of them actually saw the Lord Jesus in person. And yet Paul was the one who was an apostle. It's an important distinction to make because a lot of people throw around the title apostle or some people even give themselves the title apostle. Biblically speaking, an apostle was one who met the Lord Jesus in person and was commissioned by him to this work of the gospel. Paul was commissioned by the Lord on the road to Damascus. His interlopers were not. And he reminds them then that we also belong to Christ. We, Christians, we, us here today, don't boast because whatever authority we have in this life, it's not of our own making. We belong to Christ. And as such, when we look at other people who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus to forgive their sins, who have been purchased by his blood, those who are on a mission and have a message from him, they too belong to Christ. They are his, not ours. The mission is his, not ours. The message is his. It's not ours. And that leads to reason number two. The second reason why we shouldn't boast in ourselves is that new covenant ministry is based on building up, not tearing down. In verse 8, Paul says that the Lord gave him authority for building you up and not destroying you. That's an allusion to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 is a passage in the Old Testament in which God, through the prophets, talk about the way that the new covenant ministry of Jesus is going to work. It says this in Jeremiah 31, 28. I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Now, when we talk about the ministry of the new covenant, what that means is the way that God has promised to relate to his people through the coming of Jesus and the ministry that followed. This is a covenant of faith. 
And you, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you are a new covenant Christian in that regard. And this is a ministry of building those up who are genuine and true believers in Jesus. Paul is a minister of this covenant. And as such, building up is his motive. But we got to be clear because you can already hear the people say, well, if building up and encouraging is the motive, then we should never probably give a stern word or a word of correction or a word of rebuke for ungodly belief or ungodly behavior. And that's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, he's doing that very thing as he's writing this. He is rebuking and correcting as he goes, but it does mean that the motive behind the correction is for the good of those receiving it. It's to build them up. It's not for they're ill. We know, don't we, that everybody needs to be built up in some ways. That everyone needs to be encouraged. William Wilberforce was the leading voice in abolishing slavery in front of the Parliament of Great Britain. And he was discouraged because he kept going and there was seemingly no movement on this crucial issue. And then his elderly friend, John Wesley, heard of his discouragement and from his deathbed, he called for pen and paper. And with trembling hand, Wesley wrote, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, then who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. John Wesley died six days later. But William Wilberforce fought for 45 more years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, he saw slavery abolished in Great Britain. Even the greatest ones among us need encouragement. Everyone needs to be built up. And Paul says that this ministry of the new covenant is a ministry that is building people up in the things of God. And self-boasting is the opposite of that in so many ways because self-boasting is not for the good of others. It's only for the good of the self. And it's not something that builds others up. It only builds up the self. And the funny thing about self-promotion or self-boasting is that it very rarely accomplishes its desired purposes because it doesn't actually build you up in the mind of other people. Most people see right through self-promotion very quickly. I mean, unless you're kind of sort of trapped in internet land and they never actually meet you face to face. And then you see self-promotion all over the place through social media. But people who actually get to know you can pretty much see right through your self-promotion. In fact, self-promotion typically only builds up yourself 
to yourself. And it is a sign of misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence is expressed in boasting in the self. And so the second section of this text contains three more reasons why we shouldn't boast in ourselves and the big boast that Christians should rightfully have in this life. The next one, reason number three, is found in verse 12, and we might say it this way, that comparing ourselves to each other displays a lack of understanding of spiritual things. When you live in such a manner where you're constantly comparing yourselves to each other, it displays a lack of understanding in spiritual things. Verse 12, not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. You've probably heard the old saying, comparison is the thief of joy. It is true in so many ways. Keeping up with the Joneses is never a good game to play. I remember talking to a colleague of mine who is the pastor of a church outside of New York City and his church is largely made up of business executives and investment bankers from Wall Street. And in a conversation he had with one young man, a man in his mid-30s, they began to talk about the stress of life and my friend asked him what his biggest stress in life had been. And the young man thought about it for a minute and said, the fact that I made $6 million last year. At 34 years old, that sounds like a pretty good problem to have for most of us. And so he probed a little bit deeper and he said, so what exactly about that is the cause of stress for you? And without blinking an eye, the man said, because the person at the desk next to me made 12. Comparison is the thief of joy. Perhaps you've heard of the often told story of the two brothers who had terrorized a small town for decades. These were bad dudes. They were unfaithful to their wives. They were abusive to their children. They were dishonest in their business. And then one day, suddenly, the younger brother died. The surviving brother went to the local pastor and he said, I would like you to conduct my brother's funeral, but it is important to me that during the service you tell everyone that my brother was a saint. But he was far from a saint, the minister countered. I can't tell him that. And so the wealthy brother pulled out his checkbook and he said, Reverend, I am prepared to write a check right now to the church in the amount of $100,000 all I'm asking of you is that you state that my brother was a saint. What was this pastor to do? <laughs> the church needed the money. They had some major repairs coming. But could he trade his integrity for such a check? And so on the day of the funeral, the pastor began his eulogy this way. He said, everybody knows that the deceased was a wicked man. He was a womanizer. He was a drunk. He terrorized his employees and he cheated on his taxes. And then he paused for a moment 
And he said, but as evil as this sinful man was, compared to his older brother, he was a saint. Comparison is a bad game. And it's especially bad when you are talking about the spiritual realm. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing and what so many of us try to do. They had set up their own standards of excellence and then they judged themselves against conformity to those standards. And then they judged Paul to conformity to their own standards. And Paul reminds them that this type of comparison, especially for the sake of boasting, displays a lack of understanding about where your true confidence should be. I mean, after all, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's first letter to this church, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God gives the growth. Misplaced confidence is expressed in self-boasting. That leads to the fourth reason why we shouldn't boast. It is the long-term desire of expanding gospel reach. And that desire points to God's work, not our own. I want to say that again because this desire is the desire of everybody who truly grasps the nature of their sinfulness and their need for a savior. That you grow in a long-term desire as a Christian to see the gospel expand through the world out of love for people who don't know him, that the kingdom would grow up and more would come to experience the very joy that you're experiencing in the Lord Jesus. And Paul points to this in verses 15 and 16. He says this. He says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. There's a spiritual turf war that's going on here in some ways, and Paul is saying we only boast because we want our influence to expand, but we don't want our influence to expand for the sake of us. We want our influence to expand so that more would come to know the Lord Jesus and what he gives. When our long-term desires aligns with God's desires, and if God is the one who gives the growth, then despite our efforts, he is ultimately the one who provides opportunity to share with those who don't know Jesus, to influence the world, to participate in an ever-expanding kingdom of God that he's promised to bring to its fulfillment. We see that again and again and again on this earth. I can think of so many practical examples of this. I think the Lord is using my good friend, John Muckridge, and his team at the rescue mission of the Mahoning Valley in incredible ways. John's a gifted leader. He's a smart guy. And he is a complete knucklehead. You can laugh. John is a complete knucklehead, and he knows it. And because he knows it, he doesn't rely on his own strength. <laughs> he doesn't rely on his own ability. He relies 
on the Lord of Lords to use a knucklehead to expand gospel influence in this region. And he sits down with me for lunch and he says, man, I can't believe it, Pastor Nick. And I said, I can't believe what, John? He goes, I can't believe God is using a knucklehead like you. I said, I can't believe it either, brother. But that's what he does. We have many missionary partners here uh, at Old North, and one of them is our good friend, Sean Martin. And Sean has preached in this pulpit before. Uh, We love him dearly. He is tall. He is handsome. He's intelligent. He has that nice Vancouver accent, which keeps you hooked in on every word that he says. And he's a complete knucklehead. And he knows it. And so he relies on the Lord to use that knucklehead to expand gospel influence as he trains pastors throughout Europe and in Haiti and in the Dominican Republic. One of the encouraging things uh, about what's going on in the life of our church right now is is just the ever-growing dynamic in our growth groups over the last couple years. Year over year over year, more and more of you are participating in these small groups with the Bible open for the sake of growing. And God's just continuing to provide all these really cool leaders that are being raised up to lead these growth groups. Some of them are young. Some of them are Uh, Older, Some of them are in between. Some of them meet here in the church. Some of them meet in homes across this region. And these folks are incredible in their zeal to see all of us continue to grow and to share the word accurately and faithfully and to provide an environment that uh, is conducive to robust spiritual conversation. And I can tell you with a high level of confidence that every single one of them is a knucklehead. Some of you have growth group tonight. You can go there and not every week, just once, you can say, hey, knucklehead, how you doing? To your growth group leader. But you know what? They know it. And so they rely on the Lord who uses his word to grow us. And guess what? He is. He's using all of these types of people to grow deep, substantive people who have a reliance on Jesus and a hope for God in this life and the life to come. And the kingdom influence continues to expand. And so that leads to Paul's conclusion. If misplaced confidence is expressed in boasting in the self, then how is well-placed confidence expressed? And he says it in verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Misplaced confidence is expressed in boasting in the self. Well-placed confidence is expressed in boasting in the Lord. Earlier, Paul referred to Jeremiah 31 in the New Covenant. Here he refers to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. 
for in these things I delight, says the Lord. So what does it mean to boast in the Lord? Boasting in the Lord means that we recognize that his power is the power that is in, at work in us and through us. Boasting in the Lord means that anything I do and recognizing that anything that I do that can affect true and eternal significance. Not all of the things that we devote so much time and effort and energy to that mean nothing past this week Anything that I can participate in that results in eternal significance needs to be empowered by him. Boasting in the Lord goes so far as to say that I can do no good thing that is enough to please God in and of myself, but rather God is pleased with me because what of Christ has done for me and how the righteousness of Jesus is applied to me in this life. That's the benefit of the gospel. And so I don't boast in how good I am before God. I boast in the fact that there was one who saved me and brought me into good standing before God. I don't boast in how good I am, how strong I am, how smart I am, how influential I am. I boast in the fact that Jesus does all of those things and so much more in me and through me by his power and might. That's what it means to boast in the Lord. And don't miss it because this is one of those lenses by which we grow to see our reality that is totally countercultural. The world is filled with self boasters. <laughs> but the work of God is not about you. Yes, it is for you, but the work of God is about Him. He gives the power, He gets the glory, and you get the benefit. Misplaced confidence is expressed in boasting in the South. Well-placed confidence is expressed in boasting in the Lord. You know, this is a theme throughout the entire Bible. Here's just a couple of examples. Psalm 34, 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and if we are his house, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Romans 15, 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Galatians 6.14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Misplaced confidence is found in boasting in the self. Well-placed confidence is found in boasting in the Lord. And that leads to Paul's conclusion and reason number five, why we shouldn't boast in ourselves. It's the Lord's commendation. It's the Lord's commendation that brings true approval. Look at verse 18. 
He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. To commend someone means to give them a trustworthy recommendation. And everyone wants to be commended. Everyone wants to be viewed favorably by others. That's why it's a temptation to boast in ourselves so others look at us more favorably. To be approved means to be viewed as worthy of high regard. (laughs) Everyone wants to be approved of. That's why we're tempted to boast in ourselves because if you view me as a bit better than I am, then maybe you'll approve of me. Everyone wants the approval of others and perhaps to a greater degree, everyone wants the approval of their father. There's a kind of dad who is stable and consistent who provides for his family who wouldn't dream of abandoning his family or abusing his family, but that same dad maybe never says, I love you. Bo Jackson is still, I think, to this day, the only man to be an all-star player, both in baseball and professional football. Some argue that he is the greatest athlete in history. Maybe so. But that didn't make up for his relationship with his father. (laughs) or his lack thereof. He said a number of years ago that my father has never seen me play a football or a baseball game. Not a single one. Can you imagine that? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country. And after the game, I'm sitting in the locker room and envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk and have a drink with them after the game. I never experienced that. Winston Churchill had such a father. In Lord Randolph Churchill, as you know, Winston Churchill would become the Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II. And Lord Randolph Churchill did not like the looks of Winston. He did not like his voice. He did not like to be in the same room with his own son. He never complimented him. He only criticized him. One of his biographers wrote of young Winston's letters begging both parents for his father's attention. Coming from English aristocracy, he wrote, I would rather have been apprenticed as a bricklayer's mate. It would have been natural and I would have got to know my father. (laughs) Everyone wants approval, and everyone wants the approval of of their father. And isn't it great news that as we think about gaining the approval from other people, that no matter what your earthly father is like, that you can enjoy a commendation and an approval from your heavenly father. And if that is true, Friends, you don't need to boast. (laughs) 
For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Misplaced confidence is expressed in boasting in the self. Well-placed confidence is expressed in boasting in the Lord. So keep boasting. Just make sure your boast is directed in the right place. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we desire the approval of you as our Father. We thank you that you give it to us through faith in the Lord Jesus and the ongoing work of your spirit in our lives. Convict our hearts, conform our thoughts now as we perceive ourselves in a certain way, as we have a desire to be perceived in a certain way by others. God, give us a greater confidence in your work in our midst and let our boast rest in you, we pray, for the sake of your glory. Amen.